Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an incredible conversation to share with you. Uh, I just spoke with the most famous farmer in America, Joel Salatin, uh, the owner of Polyface Farms. Uh, Joel calls himself a Christian, libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic farmer. He's got an eccentric personality and tons of wise words to share. Uh, we had an awesome conversation that sort of circled around the orthodoxy versus uh, heresy of the day, uh, you know, talking about a number of the challenges with uh, the way people live today, the way people eat today, and a lot of other things related to health concerns and ways that we could perhaps flip the script. Uh, I had a great time talking to Joel. He's got a few, he's got some amazing books already out and a few more on the way, which you'll hear about. Uh, in this conversation. I highly recommend you buy them. He's got tons of information that uh, I think everyone could use more exposure to, especially uh, in these days. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Joel Salton. Hey, Joel, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Hey, thank you, Patrick. It's a, it's a delight to be with you. So for the audience out there who maybe, if they're unfamiliar with your work up until now, would you mind describing in your own words what it is that you do? Well, I'm a farmer and uh, we farm without chemicals. Uh, we call it grass farming. Uh, and we, don't, you know, we don't plant grains even. So uh, all the animals, we're, we're in li pastured livestock. We have beef, pork, chicken, turkey, eggs, uh, rabbit, lamb, duck, and, uh, and, and, and everything moves on pasture. And uh, so, you know, this isn't factory farming. It's, uh, it's non-hormone, non-antibiotic, non-chemical, but out on pasture with uh, really great immune systems and a whole different uh, nutrient profile. I love it. And, uh, What's so interesting to me about the way that you farm is that it's, uh, it's organic, but it's also very counterintuitive to the way that farming is done today. Could you tell me where that idea began and how you first sort of started going against the grain in that fashion? Yeah, well, uh, going against the grain, I think, is in my DNA. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was a charter subscriber to Rodale's Organic Gardening and Farming magazine when it came out in whatever, 1948, 49, something like that. And, um, and he always had a great big compost pile and didn't use chemicals. And uh, he wasn't a farmer. He was a, he was a great gardener. He was a master gardener. Um, and my dad got his kind of ecological bent from, from him. And uh, so I got it from dad. So, you know, I, I grew up in this very, you know, weird eclectic home where, you know, religiously we were, we were conservative, a conservative Christian family, but in agriculture, all of our friends were, you know, were hippies <laughs> during, <laughs> during the sixties and, and seventies. Uh, and, um, you know, I just thought that's the way it was. And then as I got older, I realized, uh, well, yeah, that is the way it is, unfortunately. And, um, and so, you know, my, 
my uh, my my view, my paradigm view. Um, you know, I've just grown up with a with a non-chemical um, you know, build the immune system. You know, a, a, a terrain a terrain type view toward wellness rather than you know germ theory and uh, pasteurization and and uh, annihilation. And it seems like what you just described there with germ theory and annihilation that that's the more institutionalized version of farming today. And, you know, right before we kick this off, we talked about how you're, you know, sort of uh, passionate for anything deinstitutionalized. Is there, how far does that extend in your business? Well, yeah, it's all the way through. Uh, I mean, one of the, I, I do a lot of speaking, at least I used to around, the, around the world. And uh, one of my top titles is, um, is, uh, well, uh, uh, welcome to the heretics. And, um, you know, we, we have an orthodox, there's an or, every culture has an orthodoxy, an orthodoxy view. And then there's this kind of heretical subculture. Um, and, and there, there are different issues and different things at different times throughout history. Right now, the orthodoxy is, I mean, let's just take the, the pandemic, for example, the orthodoxy is we're all waiting around for a vaccine. The vaccine's going to cure everything. Well, you know, uh, some of us don't believe in vaccines or some of us think there are some, some harmful uh, side effects to vaccines. And so an, a, a, a heretical view right now in our culture is to take a view that, well, instead of vaccines, why don't we build the immune system? Let's, let's take some vitamin D and some zinc and, and um, you know, let, let's build the immune system. That's kind of a heresy in our in our culture. Um, you know, the, the orthodoxy is everybody needs to wear a mask. Uh, some of us believe that uh, that that the mask is actually a petri dish and um, helps you to get sick, and um, and doesn't it doesn't have, actually have efficacy uh, that that you might think. And you know, the fact is that there are no studies. You know, there are no studies comparing uh, mask wearing to non mask there, there are, there are studies that, that indicate that masks help, you know, um, whatever your, you know, your droplets, droplets yep. from going across the room. That's true. But there's been no study linking droplets with the spread of the, you know, the virus, uh, you know, empirically. And, um, so, you know, a lot of us think that what we need to do is be changing our, our, microbiome and our terrain to be immunologically functional. I mean, I, I'm still waiting for somebody to push, doc, push Dr. Fauci aside, say, I'll tell you what, tell you what, America, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend one week building our immune system. Here's what we're going to do. We're not, we're not going to drink any, uh, any uh, Coca-Cola for a week or Mountain Dew. Uh, we're not going to go to McDonald's for a week. We're going to uh, cook at home, not eat any processed food, eat whole foods uh, that we cook ourselves and fix ourselves in our own kitchens. We're gonna um, we're gonna spend 20 minutes a day working up a, at least a mild sweat. We're gonna get some exercise. We're gonna get outside for an hour a day, uh, and we're gonna sleep for eight and a half hours a night. We're gonna drink uh, at least two to three liters of water a day to stay hydrated, and uh, to top it all off, we're going to uh, forgive everybody we hate. <laughs> you know, I mean, can, I mean, can can you imagine? Can you? Why can't somebody? in an official capacity, give that simple recipe. But, but no, it's, it's, you know, everybody's got to stay in their cave until the vaccine comes out. And, um, and, and so, you know, the, this whole orthodoxy, orthodoxy versus the 
heresy has been with us, you know, since the beginning of civilization, and and all that changes are the technologies or the, you know, the um, the issues that that come to the fore in a given time. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable because even you know, I think if you went back a year and you asked, you know, you said, hey, there's a if there was a virus on its way, what, what would you do? And if you ask health officials, I'm sure the first thing they have immune system, but as a society, we've, we've uh, got become fixated on certain things, like you mentioned, like the masks and like different, uh, you know, new coin terms like social distancing and things like that, rather than, you know, the conventional, you know, old fashioned logic. It's a really interesting thing too, to see how that heresy is, uh, you know, amplified or, um, you know, how it spreads on, on social media and on the internet and how hard it is now to overcome it maybe more so than ever before. Oh, that's for sure. I mean, I remember, uh, what, 30, uh, 40, uh, more than 40, 45 years ago when, uh, Teresa and I, uh, began homeschooling our kids, you know, this was before homeschool legal defense association with Michael Ferris. It was, you know, at that time you drew the shades, you didn't ask, you didn't tell, and you hope nobody found out because at that time, Child Protective Services would come to your home and actually steal your kids, take your kids away from you for being such a negligent parent as to, to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in truancy violations. Wow. Uh, you know, we, Teresa and I grew up at that time. Uh, fortunately, you know, a few years into it, HSLDA came along and there was, you know, a little more freedom to do. But um you know, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty horrendous thing, but you know, uh, the, the, there are plenty of business books written. I mean, they call heresy. They, they, they have a nicer name for it. They call it the lunatic fringe. And, um, you know, that's the lunatic fringe is where innovation always comes from. Uh, I mean, the old, the, the cliche, they laughed at Fulton, right? Uh, yeah. who, who of course invented the steam steamboat. And, but, but the fact is that it, Innovators are always ostracized, marginalized, and uh, uh, you know uh, they're 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 not they're they're not ex- accepted. I mean, I know when I made the decision to come back to the farm full time, I was um, oh, what's the word? Uh, not ostracized, but anyway. It, Everybody in my, you know, at college and high school, I mean, goodness, I remember in 11th grade, my last visit into the guidance counselor in high school, and I told her I wanted a farm, and I thought she was going to have an apoplectic seizure on the spot, and she just, she just said, what, you know, how would, how dare you waste your brains and talent as a farmer, and, you know, that, again, that's an orthodox position. The, the orthodox position in our culture is, you know, blue collar is for C and D students. And if you've got any brains at all, you know, you go be an engineer, a doctor, an attorney, you know, a bureaucrat. Um, but, but, you know, you, and we even have terms like white collar and blue collar, uh, blue collar always said with a bit of a, a condescending, uh, a condescending sneer as, as if, well, it, it's just, it's just unfortunate. You know, you're, you're one of those yeah. deplorables, those blue collar deplorables. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, um, you know, elitist orthodoxy. And I'll tell you what, you know, um, the way things are going, we may be in for some pretty uh, difficult times here in the next couple of years, economically, socially, culturally. Um, and if I'm going through difficult times, I'd much rather 
have somebody with me who knows how to grow things, build things, and fix things than somebody who's graduated with a degree in, uh, in, in um, feminine historical studies. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I mean, it's so interesting to me, you know, especially when you, when you look at uh, a, a lot of the way that education, that elitism is sort of angled is that people have to be very specialized in one thing. And I feel as if farmers particularly get sort of uh, the worst end of this stereotype where, you know, you mentioned there's, you know, doctors, engineers, attorneys, so forth, uh, where uh, as a farmer, it's almost like you have to have a piece of each one of those things. Uh, and so having any sort of non-specialized profession these days is uh, looked down upon or, or misunderstood where, you know, any farmer that I've talked to, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of information and knowledge that goes into doing it effectively and understanding of all realms of uh, knowledge, you know, from health, medicine, chemicals, all sorts of different things that you need to understand to be able to do it effectively, not to mention the actual physical labor. Yeah, well, you know, farmers, farmers by nature have to be somewhat uh, eclectic uh, because you have to be, you know, you have to uh, know numerous things and uh, do do numerous things. So yeah, there's, there's an eclecticism and um, an eclecticism is the opposite of specialization where, you know, you, you know a lot about one little thing, but uh, you know, what Albert Einstein was unable to tie his shoes. Um, now, you know, I'm not trying to denigrate uh, Einstein, but um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I know how to tie my shoes. Yeah. There's a disconnect from practical <laughs> knowledge these days. Um, you know, it's a, you could have that degree, which might, you know, uh, entitle you to be amongst the ranks of the, you know, uh, quote elites because you've, uh, you know, gone through the formal education process. But in reality, uh, you know, as we, uh, you know, approach some uncertain times, uh, they're the ones that are most vulnerable to, you know, just the environment, uh, becoming a challenge for them to survive in. Yeah. And, and just the ability to work with your hands. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of situations where, you know, people don't know where the battery is in their car. They don't know how to change a tire. I mean, just rudimentary, rudimentary things. Um, you know, if all you've ever done is sat on, on Netflix or, or, you know, video games, uh, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty disconnected from uh, how to build a gate and how to, you know, grow a potato and whatever, you know, butcher a chicken. Um, and, and, and that's why, that's why I encourage, I mean, I'm a, such a big fan of, of children's gardens. Uh, I think that there's something uh, humanizing about, about growing something because you learn that there's a big world out there. I'm not the center of it. There, there are things going on, you know, bugs and weather and, and, and fungus and, uh, uh, you know, actinomycetes and mycelium and all sorts of things, you know, bees and pollen going on that, that a, I have very little control over and, and I'm not the center of the universe. And I, I think that's an important way to grow up when all you grow up with is uh, playing video games, especially violent video games, you grow up with this in this fantasy world that everything is expendable and replaceable. So if, you know, if my icon, if, if I run my car off the road, I wait a couple seconds and the, and the game gives me a new car. 
that doesn't happen in real life. And when you grow up in that kind of a fantasy, uh, you can enter adulthood with a tremendous amount of, of not only uh, impractical thinking, but hubris to think that, oh, I got the world at my fingertips, baby. You know, I can, I can, uh, I can turn this thing on and off at, at, at will. And, um, and the world doesn't, doesn't work quite like that. Yeah. Not to mention the, you know, impression that young people have growing up with social media, which is a brand new phenomenon that we have no idea the effects or the long-term mental health effects that it'll have on people uh, where I can imagine, you know, as they enter the real world more and more and they realize that people are not as perfect as they portray themselves on social media, that it's, uh, it'll be alarming. It'll be shocking. Well, that's for sure. I mean, uh, who puts their, who puts their worst foot forward on social media? So again, that creates these, um, the, these dream fantasies for people. Well, and, and then, and then you, you suffer self-esteem, self-affirmation, uh, confidence because, well, I could never measure up to, you know, to that person. Well, you're only seeing the 10% of that person that's, um, that's glowing. And, um, and, and so then, then you, you develop this whole, uh, you know, false, um, you know, false impression and, um, and, and suddenly you realize in your own life, well, you know, I'm not that perfect. And, uh, you know, I had a, I had a, uh, actually a child psychologist here, uh, just a couple of weeks ago here at the farm. And she was telling me that, um, that the number of child and adolescent psychological problems are just exploding through isolation, through depression. And, um, and, and I mean, to the point where she's having to hospitalize kids and it's, uh, it's pretty, you know, it, it's a, it's a pretty dramatic thing. It's not, not good. Yeah. And it's, um, I actually just spoke about this with, uh, another, uh, podcast guest I had on just recently, uh, this guy Raghunath Capo, uh, who is a yoga teacher. And we we're talking about how related to those mental health issues that young people are having more and more is, is also the method of solving those issues with prescription drugs, as opposed to, you know, old fashioned conventional, uh, you know, means, which I, I can't imagine the repercussions that that's going to have. Well, sure. Absolutely. And, and then when you look at our food system and um, our food system has become so simple, simplified and chemicalized. So we're ingesting materials that we're not supposed to ingest that are unpronounceable that you can't make in your own kitchen. And, and on the other hand, they've been extremely simplified. Uh, you know, so, you know, um, uh, beef that's, that's grown in a feedlot essentially gets, you know, about three or four uh, ingredients in its diet. But for example, you know, pasture finished beef from our farm uh, is eating up to, you know, 20, 20 different kinds of plants a day. And all that, all that variety creates different enzymes. It creates different minerals, uh, different things. And, and, and who knows what that one, uh, what that one bacteria in your microbiome that needs, uh, that needs derivatives of plantain, for example, uh, you know, if, if it can't get that, then that becomes lethargic. And, um, and actually over time, it probably uh, dies or goes away and you've just lost some of the diversity and the resiliency in your own gut. 
we now know that the that the link between the gut health and and mental health you know, uh, is is um, is closely linked. And if your if your gut is not healthy, then your mental health will be uh, in jeopardy. And so uh, so it's 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 imperative that we get the full spectrum of of options uh, into our microbiome, into our gut, to actually feed the, the full array of bacterial life that's there. So we have a very complex, uh, a complex gut, which then allows us a complexity of mental, you know, an ability in our mental state to handle complex things and to think, you know, uh, in a, in a complex way. It, 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 when, you, when you see the soil as just nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, and you simplify the soil, then you simplify the plants, you, you simplify the animals, you simplify your own gut, you simplify your mental capacity, and suddenly you don't have the capacity to handle the complexities of life. It's, it's so interesting seeing this simplification happen across the board in a number of different industries and a number of different parts of life. And what I like so much about what you do at Polyface Farm is how you focus on a, a natural approach and create more of an ecosystem, like a, a, the way things are sort of uh, intended, you could say, maybe, uh, you know, a way that there's a lot of uh, synchronicity between different parts of your operation, you know, like the uh, reading on your website about how, you know, the chickens clean up after the, you know, they feed off of the, the cow poop and things like that. Um, by eating the, you know, protein rich larva, this sort of like a whole life cycle, a whole, uh, you know, nutrition based life cycle that happens on your farm. And it's amazing to me to see how many areas we're disconnected in, uh, in our, you know, overall, you know, society that we live in today versus how nature sort of has remedies for these things that we've lost sight of. And it's as if, you know, the sort of, if you look at the farming industry, the way that you do it versus the way that, you know, the industrial, maybe factory farms do it, that it's sort of a microcosm for what's happening across the board. What, uh, do you, have you considered ways or imagine ways to sort of close any of those disconnects, uh, you know, either in farming or, you know, in some of these other areas of life, uh, where maybe perhaps people can have more exposure to a more natural method or way of doing things? Yeah, well, for sure, for sure, uh, you know, one remedy is is to do something for yourself. And I don't care even if you live in a in a a tenth floor condominium in a big city, you, know, you can do something. You you can you can participate with life at least uh, rudimentarily. I don't know if that's a word, but in a rudimentary way. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I know what it means. You know what it means. Uh, you know, even if you just have a uh, one of these little um, earthworm, you know, earthworm kits uh, under your sink, little worm worm bin under your under your sink that you can buy, and their little kits are about the size of a of a football, and um, and you can put your kitchen scraps in there and and feed your worms, and I mean it, uh, it it's it's just it it's it's therapy for the soul. You know, we humans, uh, you know that 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 prefix huma is pretty close to humus, and 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 when we are um, de when we are are never in touch with our ecological umbilical in a visceral way, 
uh, we, we move into some sort of a, you know, an unmoored, unmoored, unanchored position. And, um, you know, it, there's, there's no wonder that we have way more, for example, social instability in urban environments than in rural environments. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're well aware that there's a, an urban exodus occurring right now. I mean, people are fleeing the cities from, uh, from everything that's going on. And nobody, nobody wants to ride out cultural collapse in, a, in an urban setting. You know, they're looking for uh, something where they can have a garden and a pantry and a, and a, a solarium on the side of their house and, you know, uh, uh, grow something, have a little bit of, of a stash, um, if you will. But another thing that, uh, you know, so that's, that, that's one element. But on the farm itself, uh, you know, one of the biggest, whatever, uh, attacks we get or, or arguments that we get against what we do is, that the way we farm takes more people. It takes more people on the farm. That's absolutely true. So I, you know, I'm guilty as charged. And of course, that's all we said. Well, what you do, you know, it takes more farmers. And it's said with, with a bit of a, again, uh, you know, a, a, a condescension as I can't imagine anything more barbaric for a techno glitzy, uh, uh, socially elite culture like ours than to have a system that has more farmers, you know. Yeah, God, God um, forbid you betray the bottom line. Yeah, right, right, right. So, so, so I, I, you know, guilty as charged. But what I find is that uh, when we run a a people centric farm, so we're substituting people for energy intensity, capital intensity, and pharmaceutical intensity. And I think it's a fair trade to reduce those three intensities. For, for people intensity, because what that does is it moves our equity from, from stuff and, you know, from stuff and physical things, it moves our equity then to skill, knowledge, and relationships. And I'll trade all the capital, energy, pharmaceutical, depreciable intensity in the world to move my equity into skill, knowledge, and relationships, any kind of day. There, there's no banker, a banker can come and repossess your tractor, he can repossess your cow, and he can foreclose on your tomato plants, but he can never come and foreclose on what you know and what you know how to do, and he can't foreclose on your relationships. So in my view, from a business standpoint, you become much more stable when, as, you, as you invest and move your equity over into these more people-centric, um, uh, uh, you know, values. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable because if you, I think if you ask anyone on the street which option they would prefer, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, maybe a bigger bottom line uh, and more things and stuff and equity related to their things and, uh, you know, physical objects versus having stronger relationships, happier people, healthier people, I think they would generally choose the latter, but it's a decision that people aren't consciously making. It's uh, it's sort of these various corporations that are sort of making these decisions on people's behalf uh, without the ability for you know, regular people to determine for themselves. And I think a lot of people find uh, don't know what kind of outlet to choose to be able to uh, support. Uh, 
Well, again, yeah, great. I mean, sure. Again, that, that's the orthodoxy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very few people, very few people will buck the orthodoxy. I mean, how many people will look their, you know, high school guidance counselor in the eye, uh, especially, a, you know, a, a smart student that's in the honor club and say, um, I'm going to pursue, you know, mentorship and trade school uh, because I don't want to sit in a Dilbert cubicle at the end of an expressway punching numbers into cyberspace, working for, you know, a, a, you know, a nameless, famous cyber entity all my life. And um, I mean, the fact that the fact that almost 80% of Americans hate their jobs is a, is a damning, uh, is a damning data point that a culture supposedly as innovative and creative as the American culture is, we can't create vocational habitats that people, that people, um, you know, don't, don't want to get up and come to. I mean, that's a, that, that's a horrendous thing. It, it was interesting to me that um, I just read in an article yesterday that during this uh, pandemic, 62%, 62% of all jobs have been done at home. So we've had a, we've got, of course, you know, the, the office has, has been um, vacated in favor of staying at home and working from home. But that, that number, 62%, so 62% of jobs can be done at home. And I'm thinking, who's building anything? Who's growing anything? You know, who's fixing stuff? And, and indeed, you look around, if you, if, you know, uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find a plumber, you know, under 50 years old, an electrician under 50 years old. Um, you know, far, farmer, the average age of a farmer is now 60. Wow. And in the, in, the business, in the business climate, anytime an economic sector has a, a median uh, practitioner age of more than 35, it's a sector that's in decline. So farmers are not 35, we're all the way up to 60. So, you know, these, um, these, 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 trade, these trade tracks are, um, are, are just whatever, they're, you know, they're, they're just falling away. And, yeah. and you wonder, you know, who, who's, who's really doing the, you know, who's doing tangible work? Who's doing things that, that I can touch and feel? I had a, we had a really interesting thing happen. One of our apprentices uh, came to us. He had, he was a, um, you know, a, a Cracker Jack, uh, whatever, you know, IT guy, worked for, um, you know, a big financial, global financial institution in New York City, down in the, you know, the bowels of the beast. And one day he just kind of had a, whatever, uh, a break, <laughs> come apart. And, yeah, break. He said, he said man, I, I got to get out of here. And he, and he went down and he just started looking at things found us. He applied for the apprentice and ship and, and, and we took him and he'd been here for, you know, a couple months. And um, he came into supper one day and he was, he was literally uh, crying. He was, he was, you know, and I asked him at supper, I said, you know, what, what's wrong? He said, said, when I worked for that big outfit in New York said, I was on a, I was on a four member team. I was, I was the one in New York. One guy was in Hong Kong. One guy was in Shanghai and one guy was in London. Every day we built financial, financial fantasy, you know, spreadsheets and clicked a button, sent them into cyberspace 
and uh, you know that was our that was our day's work. And he said, "Here today, we built uh, that that was particular day we built a, a Millennium Feathernet. It's a it's a portable uh, portable chicken house, <laughs> and <laughs> we call it the we call it the Millennium Feathernet. And uh, <laughs> and and he he said today." I built this thing with a group of people that we could actually, you know, respond to, we could touch, we could see. Uh, and we built that thing. It was a physical thing. And he said, and I realized when I wake up in the morning, it's still going to be there. And he just, he just literally emotionally broke down with the, with the, the profoundness of this, of the difference between this, this, you know, cyberspace world uh, versus a, a physical, visceral uh, practicality, and it was, it was quite a, quite a touching moment. It was, it, 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 it touched me profoundly as well. So I could imagine. I mean, it's, it is that disconnect from doing anything real and satisfying, working with your hands, the way that you know humans evolved to work for, you know hundreds of thousands of years, you know, to build things, create things, and so many people are, you know, it's sort of like we have like a bankrupted human experience now. And when you mentioned the, you know, sort of just like how those tracks of, you know, the different trades are just fading away, uh, you know, it's something that hits me pretty hard because, uh, you know, this is knowledge without college podcast. I can't help but to place some of the blame on the, you know, universities and institutions that sort of funnel young people into their, you know, into their uh, system you know, load them up with debt and then send them out to the corporate world with or without a degree uh, in a situation where, you know, now they're not really able to, you know, they're, they're just geared away from doing anything that's, you know, blue collar, like we were talking about before, because uh, it's sort of looked down upon. Yeah. Well, you know, what's fat, we at here at Polyface, we run a, a full bore uh, apprenticeship and, and uh, we don't call them stewards, uh, interns, we call them stewards. Um, and, and the, the stewardship is for five months and then the apprenticeship is, you can go on. That, that's kind of the, the level, the next graduate level, uh, kind of, you know, from, from, you know, uh, journeyman, you know, as, as you move up toward mastery and, um, and, you know, uh, when we started this program 25 years ago, almost everybody who came was, you know, 18, 19, they were kind of, you know, uh, just out of high school, not ready to go to college. And that was kind of the demographic. Today, today, the uh, I want to say majority. I, I shouldn't say majority, but but certainly many, uh, many if not more than fifty percent, are actually late twenties, and even as late as thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two years old. Um, you know, they're 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 five, six, seven years into this white-collar career track. And they're burned out. They're literally burned out. They find themselves, I mean, one of the comments here is, you know, I was sitting there in my cubicle, staring out the window and realizing I'd rather be that guy down there running the zero turn mower, mowing the corporate office lawn than, than, than sitting there in my cubicle. And, um, and so we've, we've watched this shift over 25 years. We've really watched this shift to where, um, to where the, the the burnout factor seems to be uh, getting progressively younger and younger uh, as the system you know chews up and spits out people, and so you know we 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 of course we welcome them and um, and 
you know, they get, they get tanned and toned and physically fit. And they, you know, they, they, they just, they just shine. Um, because so many of these young people are go, simply going down an orthodox track that parents and friends and guidance counselors, the, the system, the orthodox system has, has, you know, they're all sharp, you know, they're, they're, they're real sharp. They're not dummies at all, but, but they, they got pushed down this track and that's what you do when you're, you know, uh, when you have brains and, um, and, and what they really want to do is, is, you know, uh, herd cows or grow tomatoes or, you know, build compost piles. And, um, and it's just, it's just wonderful to watch the transformation emotionally and mentally um, in them when they leave that cubicle and they actually find their soul uh, in the soil. It's, it's, quite, it's quite profound. And I, I think our, our country has done a great disservice uh, to people, you know, by, by just assuming that unless you make D's in school, um, you know, you're supposed to go to the city and do something. And, and, and I would just say one more thing. I, th I think that we also do our children a disservice by, um, by calling all the things that they used to do throughout history as they interacted with the adult world in meaningful ways. We've now called that child abuse or exploitation. Uh, and, and I mean, a lady was telling me the other day, she said, uh, she was out in Washington state. said when they were kids, in the summer, the school buses would all be rented by the orchards, the orchards in, in the area, and they'd post their schedules and the, bu the school bus would drive down uh, through, the, through the town and um, they had pickup spots. And uh, if you wanted to go earn some, earn some money, you know, you were down there to meet the bus and then they'd take you out to the orchard, you pick apples all day and they'd pay you. And then you could go to the movies or you, know, you, had, you had money jingling in your pocket. This is, this is the way they grew up. I mean, can you imagine that today? A, you know, a, pri a private company renting public school buses, that would be, you know, anathema. And then, um, and then imagine, you know, an orchardist using uh, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids to pick their apples. That would be exploitation and abuse. Uh, you know, so instead, the kids sit around on video games, have no practical experience and hit 18 and 19 and have no clue who they are, what their heart passion is or what they ought to do in life. And that's a, that's a horrendous thing to, uh, um, to, to burden a, a young person with. I, I know I can, it's, it's, I can already imagine the, uh, you know, highly clickable headlines, you know, uh, local farm exploits child labor, you know, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate that that they're not we're not able to create experiences like that for people with all of our understanding of how development and psychology works uh, to give you know especially the young people especially children access to those kinds of experiences to create character it's like we've completely lost track of of those essential pieces of the human experience well sure and and, and you know I'm a big believer in child entrepreneurism and um, I, I think that there's kind of a golden age between about eight and 10 years old that, that uh, virtually every child uh, should have a business, uh, some sort of a business. And um, I, I speak at homeschool conventions. And one of my favorite things is you know, I've got a room of whatever, two or 300 people. 
and I just ask them to shout out, if you've got a child under 14 uh, that, that's running a business, just shout out what it is. You would be amazed at, you know, from everything from, you know, dog grooming uh, to, to um, uh, uh, you know, the, the old traditional lawn mowing to uh, shoveling snow, uh, you know, uh, attending a garden. Um, they're, they're just, they're just a host of these things that you know, making things that children can do. And, um, I know for me, it was instrumental in my development. I, I started my chicken business when I was 10 years old, uh, started with laying chickens and had them all through, you know, through school and you know, I never got an allowance. And, um, but you know, I, that's how I made my money. And, and, um, you learn about profit and loss and you learn that, uh, you, you know, you reap what you sow. And, and, uh, if you don't take care of things, they kind of go South. And I mean, all these, these just basic character issues for life. There's no reason why you can't learn that at 10 or 11. Why do you have to be, you know, a, a, a wrecked 35 year old, um, you know, b before you start getting the reality of some of these lessons, it's much better to get these lessons when you're, when you're a little child, you've got resilience, you know, and you've got parents really? to kind of uh, help you through that. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, kind of under eight years old, a child often kind of doesn't know what money is. It's, it's hard to kind of get some of these, you know, balance sheets and, and, and business kind of concepts, but after 10 or 11, then they start getting kind of peer dependent, you know, and then they want to be cool, right? You got to be cool. And so I just think there's this magic age between eight and 10 where a child can, can start a business and um, you know, and, and they're not, they're not self-conscious about it. They don't mind walking up to somebody, at, you know, <laughs> a friend and saying, Hey, you know, I'm making brownies. You want to buy a dozen. You know, they're not self-conscious about that. And, and who can turn them down? You know, it's great. It's a great yeah. uh, marketing. Our little, our little granddaughter, um, her, her, uh, her brothers, one of them has uh, a duck business, sells duck eggs, and one of them has uh, a lamb business and sells lambs, and she's the, you know, she's the younger of, of the bunch, and so here she, she sees her brothers you know, doing their business, and one day she went out and picked a bunch of wildflowers, and we had, had a, 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 you know, customers coming to the farm to get chickens, and so she, she laid, laid in wait for the, for, you know, for the right guy, and guy walked in by himself you know to pick up his chickens and she walks right up to him with her handful of flowers you know she says i picked these flowers i'm selling them for a dollar and um i'm sure i'm sure you know uh that your wife would enjoy you know you bringing <laughs> home some flowers to her. but but listen to this uh uh not you know having all her bases covered she quickly she quickly said and if you don't have a wife i'm sure you know a lady somewhere who would love to have flowers <laughs> She had, but you know, uh, a 12, a 12 year old won't do that. You know, a 12 yeah. year old is much more self-confident, but, but a, a five, six, seven year old completely unabashed. Um, and, and you know, you, you can't, you can't dislike them. You know, you can't say, well, you're being kind of pushy. Uh, you, know, you never say that to a five, six, seven year old. They're just, they're just trying to interact with the adult world. And, and I, I think that, that we have really, really missed the boat in our, in our country by, um, uh, by prohibiting uh, literally, literally, um, you know, not allowing, not allowing the, our young people the privilege of this 
real practical adult interaction. You know, you can't Google, you can't Google experience. Yep. Uh, and, 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 and there, there's no, there's no equity. There's no equity like experience. So, you know, like ultimately it's, it, it goes back to this, you know, orthodoxy versus the heresy. And my, the question that keeps coming to my mind is how do you flip it? How, how do you make, you know, the adjustments? How do you instill values in people to understand, you know, where their focus should be? Have you given that question any thought? Uh, well, look, you know, if, if, if anybody knows how to flip orthodoxy, um, they're going to be a, they're going to be a wealthy person. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, by, by definition, you know, by definition, orthodoxy is, is whatever it's unflippable. Uh, Well, no, I wouldn't say it's unflippable. Think about some orthodoxies that actually have flipped. For example, um, you know my my forte is food. Uh, so so think about that for years and years, for decades, the USDA orthodoxy was you want to eat you don't want to eat butter and lard. You want hydrogenated vegetable oil, and and finally here you know ten years ago that completely flipped to where now um, you know the the recommended amount of hydrogenated vegetable oil to consume is zero um you know there was a day when you know every magazine was full of uh, ads for ddt i mean they you know powder your kids with it and you know put it on everything and, and ddt was ubiquitous. and and then you know then the culture changed uh so so it can flip but it but it um you know it, it normally doesn't flip overnight it's a it's a long it's a drawn out affair and um and, and, and normally it takes some catastrophic thing, uh, some sort of catastrophic thing to actually, you know, to actually get the attention of people. Um, you know, I, I mean, uh, it, it could be, it could be, I'm just thinking out loud here that this whole pandemic thing, that one of the catastrophic out, outcomes of it is a mass movement toward homeschooling and you know deinstitutionalized uh, uh, t- learning. I mean, we're 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 you know people are wanting to you know come out to the farm, have a farm school. I mean, they're, they're trying they're they're wanting to do anything um, that's not that public school classroom. And um, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I guess you know they, they say that it takes sixty days. It, it a habit a habit is created if you do this if you do your if you change your routine change your habit for 60 days do it for 60 days straight then it becomes a habit uh, whatever this new thing well yep. the pandemic is now going on longer than 60 days and and the longer we keep these kids out of school the longer alternative kind of uh, teaching things are going to come to the fore and it could be that one of the fallouts of this is just a massive uptick in, um, in in all you know uh, deinstitutionalized uh, teaching options, and that would be a that would be a very exciting flip. Yeah, it's it's interesting how it takes you know usually some sort of like disaster, tragedy, war, or something like that to <laughs> unite the values of people that are sort of subjected to the to the violence or whatever, um, sort of get people on the same page. It's 
pretty interesting to see that happen. And almost, uh, you know, I wonder if, you know, the reason why we're so segmented and fragmented right now is because we, you know, things have been easy for so long. It seems like the last time there was really some unifying event was probably World War II. Well, yes, you're right. That that luxury, the, the convenience, convenience and luxury uh, make us lethargic, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, everything. I mean, I mean, it, you know, I, I'm in I'm in livestock, so you can imagine that I get routinely assaulted on social media, even in public, uh, for you know for for killing animals. Haven't you know? Uh, sure. So, you know, Impossible Burger, Beyond Meat, you've got the whole vegan movement, you got PETA, all this stuff, you know, and it all is pretty aggressive against uh, any kind of, uh, you know, domestic livestock thing. And, and it, it just strikes me that, you know, in any other time in human history, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had the time and the luxury to sit around thinking whether we should eat uh, whether we should eat a, a beef or not. Um, I, I mean, you know, if, if you could, if you could shoot it, trap it or catch it, <laughs> you know, you lived another day. Yeah. And, and the fact that we're actually sitting around with focus groups, uh, you know, uh, with, with the luxury of asking ourselves, you know, wonder, wonder if I should eat a chicken, you know, or eat an egg. Um, just shows the level of you know of luxurious imbalance in our in our system. I I, I had this conversation with a, another guest at one point about that exact idea where we have this time to think about you know the ethics behind killing animals, using them for food, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, on one hand, you'd think that that's a you know, sort of like the more enlightened uh, way of thinking. Uh, whereas, you know, so sort of the dichotomy is at the same time, atheism is growing, you know, in direct proportion to the number of vegetarians, I, I would assume, uh, or vegans. And it's, it's, a, it's a strange phenomenon to watch sort of uh, people enforce ethical boundaries around food and food production while at the same time, uh, you know, it seems that the country is moving dramatically and quickly away from you know, sort of being based off of an orthodoxy of, you know, um, you know, Western tradition and religion. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's also interesting that that these these whole uh, these these systems um, depend on monocultures and chemicals and soil erosion and and uh, you know aqu aquifer irrigation, all the things that normally that you know that kind of a uh, you know, environmental ecological uh, bent would endorse, and yet they're actually they're actually promoting an eating style that is that is completely anti-ecological. If you want to build soils, you do it with perennials. You don't do it with annuals. Uh, you know, if you if you want um, true nutrient density for your system, uh, you want assimilatable um, nutrients not not hard to assimilate nutrients from you know from beans and i'm not trying to demonize beans i'm just saying to get the same amount um you know we're going to have a, a a world of flatulence so the, the 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 point is that um that there's there's incredible not only inconsistency but even hypocrisy at its most um elemental level in, in the thinking and when you realize i mean i'll give you an example that you know uh, B vitamins, 
B vitamins, uh, riboflavin is one of them. And those are, are critical for, you know, for thought processes. And, um, you know, grain finished, grain finished beef, for example, or, or I'll just say this, um, uh, grass finished beef has 300% more riboflavin than grain finished beef. And so, um, and so that's just one example of a key nutrient that you, you know, that you can't get through an alternative uh, source. And, you know, they say, well, we'll take a supplement. Well, um, well, whatever happened to just eating, <laughs> eating a broad <laughs> spectrum of nutrient dense foods, you know, why does everything have to be done in a, in a laboratory? And so, so the very fact that, that slaughtering an animal is now considered um, barbaric and Neanderthal and unsophisticated um, it is not a new indicator of some sort of new, uh, you know, uh, nirvanic, nirvana cosmic awareness. It's an indicator of a profound devolution into a disconnect with our ecological umbilical and our dependent on it and, and its full magnificent, awesome, abundant uh, complexity that's required to work. It's interesting how the complexity too, like I mentioned earlier about, you know, just the way your farm operates, you know, the complexity usually has, it's like nature has a system already sort of pre-designed, pre-built. There's sort of like a schematic to it that if utilized properly, there can be a lot of harmony uh, in doing multiple things at the same time rather than, uh, you know, segmenting and, and compartmentalizing, you know, the focus on each individual thing or each individual, you know, for the farm example, like utilizing, you know, if you have a chicken farm or a cattle farm versus, you know, mixing them together and having that, that harmony between the two. Sure. Well, there's, there's nature moves towards symbiosis and, and that symbiosis is created by the complexity. And so, you know, when we just have a chicken farm or a cow farm or a dairy or a, an apple orchard, we, by definition, we have, have created a, a simplification of the, um, you know, of the polyculture that nature uh, uses for resilience and, and for symbiosis. And, um, and so, yeah, on our farm, one of the reasons we have all the different animals is because, you know, we follow the cows with the chickens. We, we make, we aerate compost piles with pigs. Uh, there's, there are all sorts of uh, useful ways, you know, to incorporate the animals in an integrated system rather than a segregated system. And, and our food system is the same way. Uh, you know, um, if, if, a, if, a, if a college dining services begins composting their food waste, you know, where a truck comes, picks it up, takes it to a composting facility, they get some sort of greenie award. Well, that's not greenie. What's really greenie would be to build a chicken house behind the dining services. All the food scraps go in a chicken house. The chickens eat the food scraps, lay eggs. The eggs go back in. Now you have an actual functional circle, you know, between, between nothing has to go on a truck. Nothing gets segregated off site and you integrate everything. And, um, and, and you know, and, and the, the, the yardscape crew, uh, the generating wood chips and, and uh, biomass and lawn clippings that goes in for bedding for the chicks, for the chickens, the chickens make the compost, the compost goes on the, on the plants and the plants on the campus can be edible instead of inedible. So the students can graze from, you know, from building to building and, and, uh, 
you know, the, the strawberries in quadrant three are ready today. You know, the, yep. the asparagus over in quadrant five is ready today. I, I, I mean, um, you know, we can actually create uh, nests and wombs of abundance. Um, and, and instead, what we have is, is scarcity, segregation, and disconnectedness. And this is not rocket science. This is very, very practical. We know how to do this. We just lack the will to, to think um, to, to think and question orthodoxy. Well, you know, I'm really glad that there's, you know, people like yourself out there, you know, and that you do what you do with Polyface Farm to, you know, highlight that because I think you're, I, you know, I think with this pandemic, with all that's going on, uh, I think, you know, you're well positioned for the way that the, the, uh, future trends may be headed where people are returning to, you know, a more natural way of doing things. People will start to question sort of the, uh, the way that we have been doing things, you know, the pendulum will swing back the other way. And I think, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to, you know, share this information and, you know, make it so available and transparent to the public. I think it's a critical service that you're performing and I I commend you for that. Well, thank, thank you. And, um, and it's great to be able to share with you. Uh, um, you know these these concepts are are not new, but they're but but they're contextually new uh, today. So they you know they they need to be customized. They need to be customized to be relevant and credible for today's you know today's um, world today's situation. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad to uh, glad to have the podium and the conversation. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, you know, and I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate. I, I was just over in Virginia. I wish I took some time to uh, try and uh, make it out to see the farm. Well, next time. Next time for sure. Um, Joel, where, where, uh, or, you know, do you have anything on the horizon that, uh, you know, related to these concepts that, uh, you know, for the general public to consume? I know you've written a number of books. Uh, do you have yeah, anything well, on the way? Yeah, well, uh, what uh, we, just, uh, we just released a book about a month ago. The title is Beyond Labels, and I co-wrote it with a, with a PhD in nutrition, um, Sina, Dr. Sina McCullough, and um, she has a fantastic story of, of, um, of sickness and healing uh, through lifestyle and, and food. And um, so what this is, is kind of a, a continuum to take you from wherever you are to a, a, a place of maximum health uh, on, a, on, a, you know, on a continuum. And, um, and so that, that's just come out a month ago. Uh, it's a, I think it's a great book. We're getting some great, great reviews. It's getting some real traction, um, selling very well. And I think it's obviously when we started on this more than a year ago, we had no clue uh, that we would be in the situation we're in, but it, it, it couldn't be more appropriate for, you know, for your own health and building your immunity system and your, your wellness structure. Um, it, it couldn't be, it couldn't be more timely for that. Um, and then I've got another book coming out um, in about a month. The title is Polyface Design. So a lot of people, you know, they, they, they see what we're doing and, oh, that's pretty cool. But how do I build a, an egg mobile? How do I build a, you know, a shade mobile, a gobbledygook, you know, a millennium feather net. So, you know, they, they want to know how to, how to do that. And so this is a design book, a, a real nice diagram how-to book that has all of our designs, all of our diagrams in it. And, um, and I hope it just, 
it just empowers thousands of homesteaders, do-it-yourselfers, uh, and, and self-reliant folks that are ready to to make the shift and and uh, you know and and grow some of their own uh, livestock. I, I love how you make that available to people. You know, you don't conceal it or, or hide it because, you know, like we're talking about, it's like more people need to, they need this information. More people need to sort of move in this direction. If we want to flip the ortho, orthodoxy, you know, it's, it, the information is the power there. So uh, I, I appreciate your philosophy there and sharing the information. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's uh, what, what we need is more people to join the tribe. Love that. Love that. Well, Joel, I, I really appreciate your time today. It's been uh, educational and, and, you know, I, I really just enjoy uh, these topics and the fact that, you know, we're able to blast this out to more people. Do you have any final asks or requests or words for the, uh, the listeners out there? Um, I guess if I had a parting, parting uh, thought here for today, it's just, um, you know, question the narrative, just realize that, that, there's almost no official narrative without some sort of uh, an agenda behind it. And, uh, and so uh, be willing, ready, and eager actually to uh, question whatever the, the, the narrative, the official, the official speak, the official narrative is. Uh, the truth is probably, you know, somewhere different than, than where that narrative is. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, and, you know, I hope everyone goes out and buys your book. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.